my my expectation might be higher in terms of I already know all the porn that the other person has seen and I'm not gonna recreate it with them. My expectation is that they're authentic, um, meaning they express what they actually want in bed and can communicate that and be fully present with that. And that unfortunately rarely happens. How much pressure do we put on ourselves to keep our sex lives interesting? And why do people look for adventures outside their relationships? What can you learn about yourself after traveling 36 countries in five years? And what happens when you sit down at the age of 30 and start writing your memoirs? Can you show the whole world how vulnerable you are? In this episode, I talk to Teresa Lachner, journalist, speaker and founder of the largest sex blog in German language, who knows her boundaries and supports others on their way to set theirs. This podcast brings you stories from and about people who stepped into the unknown. Stories about fear, uncertainty, the illusion of security or, I don't know, let's see what it will be about. My name is Katarina Bayer and I will host you on this journey into the unknown. something that I always knew and that I emotionally and logically totally understood. But one week ago, it, it hit me like I, I realized how much I will steal from my life if I continue that way. You know that I'm a structured and well-organized person. And the thing is that I tend to always already have a wish in mind how something would end up like this session that we have this podcast that we have if it's on a date if it's a work meeting it's like I already know how I want to feel afterwards and even if this happens that way I don't feel satisfied and so this wish this hope or whatever you may call it is actually stealing my freedom from me like I, re I, I act like a puppet in, in rehearsed behavior And um, I, I figured out one, one week ago, but really like realizing how much I betray life like this. And I was wondering if you understand, like understand the realization that I had and in which moments you really feel fully present in your life. That's a tough question to begin with. Um, hi, I'm Teresa. <laughs> um, I totally get what you're talking about this like idea of how things should be I mean we have we all have these ideas of how our lives should be we consume social media we're like okay this is the relationship I want this is the holiday I want right now I'm planning my holiday and I'm already like stalking like every part of the island that I'm going to be like oh I'm gonna have lunch here on Monday and I mean it's ridiculous like we don't allow spontaneity in our lives and it just um Yeah, we really rob ourselves of like new experiences just by 
figuring out how we should like recreate experiences and that's that's really stupid and I, I try harder not to do that and just like be like okay let's let's just go there and see what happens like um just book like a hotel and then we'll we'll see about the rest you know how often do you do this that you just go with the flow i used to do it more when i was younger and had more like spare time when i was like traveling full time i was better at that but even then i i was never like this sort of like backpacking person who just went someplace and then decided to book a hostel like i'm i'm kind of like like anal about that that i feel like okay i have to have to have the best place and i have to get the upgrade and i have to have this and it has to be the perfect experience and then when something isn't perfect for example the room is like on the first floor instead of the fifth that i would prefer and then i get kind of pissed <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it's it's um it's not great to do it that way because really um We, we rob ourselves of, of like experiences that just could happen. But then I'm also like, I feel like whenever I actually go traveling, I, I try to do that, that I feel like, okay, let's just go there and then see what happens. And let's just talk to the person at the table next to me. And, and, and that usually turns into like weird, funny, great stuff doing that. And except traveling, is there something in your life where you know that you're just go with the flow and fully be present? Like, is it writing or is there special friends that you never plan something with? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the best friendships are the ones who are just like, okay, let's meet downstairs in 10 minutes. That's what I really, I, I really like that. And I, I feel like we, we're not getting enough of that now that we're all like working full time, etc. Like that used to be easier when we're still students. Um, but I mean, I feel like when I'm working with a client, like I'm, I'm a sex counselor as well. And like, like there's no way to predict how the session's going to be because you don't know the mood of the client. You don't know the story that comes up today. So This is like if if I had like a hypothesis in mind <laughs> about how things should be done, then then I'm betraying the client of their session because I my my job is to to listen and to work with that and not just have my idea of how they should live their lives because then I wouldn't be a good counselor or therapist. Thanks for starting with such a big topic in the beginning. Yeah. Because I, of course, wanted uh, to introduce you, but my introduce, like introducing you would be different. I was always wondering if you meet somebody, if it may be on the street, if it would be a date or whatever, how do you introduce yourself and do you immediately tell them what your profession is? That really depends. Like usually I just say, um, I, I'm Teresa, I'm, I'm a journalist. If someone asks, what do you do? Um, and then they always go like, oh, what kind of journalism? And then really depending on what the person is like, I go like, oh, you know, lifestyle magazines or oh, I write about relationships. And this, this is not wrong. Like, it's, it's not a lie, but it takes like a special kind of person where I'm like, hi, I run Germany's biggest sex blog and I wrote a book and I do a podcast. Like, But it's not even just the, the sex bit, but more like I feel like I don't want to like overwhelm them with the stuff that I do 
or maybe I'm just also like kind of humble bragging in like this like way that like I have a lesbian friend and she told me like if you would date women only you would never do that like on a date being like oh I'm just a just a journalist so guys don't feel like inferior like lesbians would never do that so I'm trying to be less humble about it and be more like yo this is what I do because like in the end the other person either is capable of dealing with that or not you know is it just this humbleness part or is it also that you figured out that some people get intimidated if you tell them you're you write about sex yeah of course they do I mean usually like the first impression like I mean I traveled for five years so I talked to a lot of different people but wherever I am in the world um, people are usually like oh that's great that's so necessary that's so useful and so I'm I'm kind of like used to this reaction more that people really feel like, okay, now I can, I can be, she's cool. I can be normal around her, you know? And I mean, of course, like some mostly guys, mostly white straight guys, they get this like idea of like how uh, wild I'm going to be. So that that's the, the annoying part. So like in like a random taxi in Los Angeles, I probably won't say what I do in the first 10 seconds because I have to figure out if the taxi driver is cool or gonna murder me <laughs> whatever if I tell him what I do. You already mentioned that you traveled for five years and as far as I remember you visited 36 different countries is that correct? Yeah. And you know when you travel you meet also these people who I would now call digital nomads and with digital nomads I have to be very honest I have a very ambiguous opinion about them on the one hand I am so fascinated like they live their life they are minimalistic they are free they are these cool people and on the other hand I'm thinking like Are they running away from something? Can they commit to something? Like, is it a lie? Are they authentic? And also, I, I'm surprised of their wish of getting attention. So I was wondering, you met so many of them, I guess. What did you learn about digital nomads, like call them digital nomads now, um, that you didn't know before? Well, I mean, all these, um, like things and assumptions that you just made um are true <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean you know it's like a very heterogeneous group like there's not like the i mean there is the typical digital nomad i wrote like an article about it for business punk it was read a lot um so there's something to it like there's this typical kind of bro guy <laughs> who lives off drop shipping and you know does like i don't know <laughs> so i mean there is a typical digital nomad but um i feel to some extent um what i didn't know before i think was like how much they just commit to another church in a way like they're all like uh oh, live uh minimalistically do this do that and and these are this is like a very strict set of rules that you have to follow you have to have this backpack this laptop this laptop stand this like you have to travel hand luggage only you have to like do all these things to be a good nomad you know and um i i learned that when i settled down again After having lived that life full time for five years, I didn't have an apartment for five years. So I would say I was pretty like, 
you know, I, I played, <laughs> I played the, the nomad lifestyle from beginning to end. And most people don't. They just go to Chiang Mai in the winter because they don't want to sit around and I don't know, bubblingen or something. <laughs> and, um, so, um, and they were all like, I felt like I betrayed them because like I, <laughs> I got a flat again because that must have meant that being a nomad full time isn't that great forever, which is something that a lot of these people like have to tell themselves in order to be able to live off a backpack and not buy shit. And like, you know, it's, it's a very like strict kind of like regime in a way, uh, if you don't like settle down, like, and for me, it was fun while it lasted. I mean, I'm glad I, I know how little I actually need. Like, that's good to know. But I also really enjoy having an apartment full of shit. You know, I love it. I love, like, getting, like, shitty little mugs or... Souvenirs. Souvenir. Well, not really souvenirs, but, like, well, if there's another dress that I want to buy, I can just buy it and not, like, figure out, oh, I have to throw away another dress because otherwise it doesn't fit my backpack, you know? And this is, like, this, like, mid-30s kind of luxuries... I, I love them. So I'm really fine with, you know, having given up that lifestyle, especially now in times of Corona. But I'm also happy to know that I can pack my bag in 25 minutes and be out of the door and get a flight, you know, like that's just, it's great to have that in the back of my mind. If I want to invite the unknown back into <laughs> my boring life what, what is really interesting to me because um you said it's like a strict set of rules like you need to have this laptop and you have to do this or that and like the first thing that popped up in my head was like I always thought they are free but this actually doesn't sound free sound free to me I mean, of course, you can be free from those rules like nobody really forces you to buy this like MacBook Pro but I mean, it's just like, they're all like, oh, what's your morning routine? Like, they're very, like, anal about their, because you have to get, like, internal routines if you, like, change the scenery every couple of weeks, you know? Like, you really have to, like, train yourself to to be settled in yourself in a way if that makes sense and there's nice stuff to it I mean I did a lot of meditation retreats while I was doing it and it's great but it really like now I know how much like safety like having my own very nice place gives me and how that allows me to to figure out other shit because like a lot of digital nomads are really into like what we call personal development, you know, all these like classes that you can buy for shitloads of money. And um, I mean, it would be, to, to, I, I mean, I, I get that too. And I find this stuff interesting. And there's a lot that you can learn from like a class or some sort of guru or yoga teacher or whatever. But at the end of the day, figuring out your own shit and I mean, to so many people that I've met, I would just say now, like, just, just do, just do therapy, you know, like, <laughs> so much you can learn from therapy. You don't, you don't need to buy this, like, ridiculously expensive new class. Just, just actually do the work for once instead of, like, running to all these things and be like, okay, if I, just learn i don't know uh, this type of breathing then i'll be uh, enlightened you know 
just just really actually work on yourself in therapy and that's a lot easier if you have like a place to come home to afterwards where you can just you know crawl into your bed into your own bed and cry and feel better afterwards so yeah that's my boring <laughs> advice the, the the next question i would have uh, asked you but you answered it in so many ways already is like why after five years you decided to to settle down well i mean It was funny because at the time I was so used to not having a place that the idea of getting a place sounded almost like like weird to me. Like, why would I do that? Like this luxury of like a own place. But then I started um, sex counseling classes and um, it was in the same place. And I, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe it just, I, it's nice. At first I thought, okay, I can go there once a month. That's nice. That's like a place to come back to. And then it took me another day to be like, or I could just move there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which to a lot of other people would have been the obvious, like first idea, but it took me a while. But then I was really, I, I found myself getting so excited about that idea um, that I felt like, okay, maybe that's, maybe it's time, you know, maybe it's time to stop the traveling and I can still go on holidays. So it's not like the end of the world, but for now I'm, I'm good, you know? So, and then I found like a, a spot in the class very earlier than expected and then just moved like a couple of weeks later and I found a flat immediately and everything just fell into place and I haven't looked back once, I have to say. So that's, that's why. So on the, in these five years of traveling, I, I, I guess you met hundreds of people. The longest I've been traveling was about 10 months. And I remember that with so many people, I just met like for some days and it felt so intimate and close. And after coming back, I almost, I'm almost not in contact with anybody of them anymore. So can you share how much the relation to some of the people you were close with on your travel changed? And you already said before, like the word of betrayal, did it do something to your friendship? Because they are still, I don't know, in Bangkok or on Bali or wherever. Well, I have some friends from that time that stayed with me that I will still feel close to. Some of my closest friends I met while traveling. Um, other people, I, I see them when I see them and it's nice. Like I've, usually I go to Vietnam, Thailand, these places once a year. And then if they're around, we get coffee and it's like, we've seen each other yesterday. So, I mean, you can go back to this like intimacy. Um, but some people just like, okay, she's in a place now. I don't care, <laughs> you know? And fair enough. I mean, it's, I feel like with any kind of like change you make to your life, there's some people that's going to be around no matter what and others that be like, oh, she's got a child now, she's boring, stuff like that. Like we we all know this. So it's it's a bit the same with that. And um, I really noticed uh, intimacy thing as well that you mentioned. I feel like that's also part of the, the beauty of traveling because you you're not your fancy job, you're not your fancy clothes, you just hanging around in some shitty bar wherever and you know just actually talk to someone else um and like i've heard so many stories like half an hour after meeting people and i feel like i i like that like i mean not always obviously when someone's like completely oversharing but it can be very useful to be able to 
connect with people easily on on that level so I feel like it's helped a lot for my work because I feel like I am this sort of like very approachable person that people just feel they can connect with easily and um I I do enjoy that and I do having this like intense intimacy although sometimes it can be a bit bit much for everyone but it's it's cool that you can recreate those moments even when you move places again so yeah I, I feel like I, I took that with me from that time when when you said you can recreate these moments I I honestly have to say like I traveled a lot not in five years on one piece but I'm still traveling a lot but since I moved to a place and I'm in the city for quite a long time already my direct approach to people that I learned and that is really like a bit of my personality a lot of people are quite overwhelmed. Like I always hear men saying like, yeah, if this uh, lady would just approach me on the street, I approached men on the street, but let's say skeptical looks was the the things that I got. Is it also something that you saw coming back to Europe that um, it's easier to get this intimacy on, on travels and, and not every European city is open for that? It really depends on the city. I mean, right now we're in Vienna and I feel like Vienna is probably the place where you meet least new people bugger <laughs> <laughs> so um i don't know it's it's happened to me everywhere and i'm really glad it's it's happened to me in vienna too so not so much with guys i have to say like austrian men they're special <laughs> that way like that's a lot easier in basically any other place I've been to um but yeah it it did happen and and I feel like it doesn't really it more depends on like the setting you're in so I feel like I mean you can probably hang around in a hostel in Vienna and have 10 new friends by the end of the day or I don't know not make any new friends in a business hotel in Istanbul you know so mm -hmm. really depends on the places you hang out in I guess but and it's also something that you can't really force like you can't really expect oh I'm gonna meet 10 new people tonight and I'm sure it's it's probably not gonna happen oh so. I can expect that <laughs> <laughs> coming back to the intro yeah. um, you decided with the age of 30 to write a biographical book and um, to sit down reflect on your life and literally um, like show yourself naked can you share a bit of this creative struggle and also the struggle for um, fighting for your um, remarkable writing style that you have Thank you, thank you. Um, so the, the the whole thing was a bit of a process. So it started by um, an article I wrote for my blog Lustprinzip, um, which was called "Du hast aber doch so ein hübsches Gesicht," which is like, oh, but you've got a you've got such a nice face, you know. And it was about like um, body shaming and people telling me, oh, if only if only you lost 10 kilos, you'd look amazing because you have such a nice face. And I didn't really expect anything from that article because it was very personal and not even like about sex that much but it really took off and it got went viral and then like a um, big newspaper um, decided to print it um, and then I got approached by a lot of publishers if I wanted to turn that into a book so I mean I did <laughs> and um, 
he could have written like this, I don't know, body positive Bible or whatever, but I really decided is this going to be way more impactful if I make this as personal as possible. So um, that was really like a choice that I made. And it wasn't an easy choice because um, in Germany you only um, have these options to write um, like Sachbuch, which is like nonfiction and uh, novel, roman. So there's like in in other like countries you have these options of like narrative nonfiction, for example. And in Germany you only have those two categories. And I was like, no, it's not going to be a novel because it's literally what happened. So um, that wasn't easy to... Um, to get that through because obviously like a, a non-fiction book usually would be like way more factual way less uh, like the style should have been like more I don't know neutral the whole tone would have been different um, so I wrote this like very like novel-ish like narrative non-fiction book and it's a memoir and um, that was a bit of a of a struggle and a lot of discussions but I I felt like it was really important to write it the way I would have told you over a glass of wine. So that was my my plan. And I think it worked because a lot of people told me, like, if I read this, I hear your voice. So Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and that was really... And it's it's very colloquial. It's very... Um, I feel like I... I I could have like sounded smarter, you know what I mean? Like it's, but, but I feel like at the end of the day, it's just, it, it it's, it's more closer that way. And I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of allergic to writers like, um, using words as like a, a shield to, to protect themselves from all sorts of, I don't know, criticism. Like I really like this, like, okay, let's just say it how it is, you know? And I, that way I also wanted to like write about my struggles and like the stuff that I did that probably wasn't that smart, but I did it anyways because you make mistakes and whatever. And um, yeah, that that worked out well, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the process, but it wasn't easy. I mean, writing a book, it takes forever and it's exhausting. And um, you, I mean, especially if you write memoir, I feel like that's... That's pretty, it's a tough one, like doing that at 30. So I'm I'm not keen on doing it again for the foreseeable future. Someone asked me, can you write like um, part two? And I was like, yeah, maybe when I'm 60. <laughs> <laughs> like every 30 years, I feel like is a good um, time frame for, for writing memoir because you have to live at the same time and that can also be tough when you write a book. So, so you, you already said it's, it's, it was quite exhausting. Um, I cannot imagine how it is to sit in front of a blank page or blank screen nowadays and the struggle of you have to, you, there's a deadline and you have to finish something. How, Like, how did you start this creativity? Well, I mean, this whole, like, you know, as a writer, this whole, like, idea of, I don't know, inside stroke of genius, whatever. It's it's nice if you have that. And, and like, when you see a movie and there's someone writing and you just see them, like, smoking 10 cigarettes and forgetting to eat and, <laughs> you know, like, they're in this, like, I don't know, manic state and just write and write and write. 
of like, I don't know, the maybe 200 days I wrote that happened maybe twice. <laughs> so the rest of the time, you just sit there, you stare at the screen, um, you, you hate yourself, you're ashamed to be alive, and then you do it anyways. And you'd be like, okay, fuck it. If it's shit, I can always like, you know, delay it and write it again tomorrow or whatever. So um, really this like, this like state of flow, when it happens, it's amazing. And it did happen to me for some parts. Um, but I mean, it was funny because, um, and when we edited it afterwards, like, My editor found it hard to edit at the same pages that I found it hard to write. And I feel like a lot of people found it hard to read at the same pages as well. So it's really nice how that really, I don't know, works in that way. But um, it's also very, feels good to have written the the bad parts you know and you knowing that you you were able to to do that that feels very like strong like conquering your inner demons in that sense so that's that there are good moments to writing but it's you know it's just when you write like a blog post you just write it it takes i don't know maybe one hour and then you press posting it and and then it's out there and then people comment and it's like this instant like gratification and for the book it's very delayed gratification so that's like really this whole like thing of like running a marathon and i i did do um some pilgrim uh, pilgrimage to to like train myself to walk every day and do it again and every day it's like 30 kilometers and your back hurts and your feet hurts but you have to do it again tomorrow and really learning when to take a break that's mm -hmm. like the main thing that I learned because like some days you just push yourself and there's nothing good coming from it and you'd be like okay so today I'm taking a break and then the next day it's better so but it's really I mean I'm not gonna lie like the last like Six weeks, I only left the house to buy food or see my therapist. So <laughs> it's what it is. But then I, I, I have to ask, you said it sometimes it felt like sitting and then you hate yourself and you don't like yourself. And then you really write about personal stuff, like your ex-boyfriend, like your start in Vietnam, stuff that is was also like really brought a lot of sadness in, inside of me. How can you bear this? Well, I mean, I I kind of liked, I mean, what I generally like is like turning shit into gold. So I'm a big fan of like, when I, for example, when I have a shitty date, then the least I want out of it is a good article. So <laughs> I really have this like very pragmatic view on, um, you know, my life. And um, I kind of liked because I had this like experience before that I turned like shit into something useful for other people. Um, I felt like, okay, I'm going to write this down and it's going to suck for me and it's going to hurt the people who read it. But then afterwards they will be smarter and maybe someone in the same situation is going to learn from it and leave the situation earlier than I did. So, And when I wrote like this like first part, I gave it a friend to read afterwards and she's a sex therapist as well. And she read it on the bus and she started crying so much that she missed her bus stop. 
And to me, that was like the proof that, that it's going to work. And she was like, this is going to help a lot of people, you mm -hmm. know? And I was like, okay, then I keep going, you know? And in the end, it not only helped other people, but it also helped myself, you know, like figuring out the whole stuff, like really putting yourself, it's a bit like therapy. You really have to like go back there and look at it again and be like, okay, what, what did actually happen and how was I in that situation? And even like, you know, less dramatic um, stuff, I felt like my memory was like, oh, I reacted in this way. And then I like went back and read all the old emails and was like, oh no, shit, <laughs> I did something completely different. <laughs> I changed reality. <laughs> yeah, and that's really interesting to to look at it like from this like, I don't know, five years older like point of view and be like, okay, you've, you were a bitch as well, you know? And that's really, because we, I think we're all very self-righteous in the way we feel like ah, I'm, I'm this amazing person. I've never done anything shitty in my entire life turns out no and that's i mean that's useful to to know that you know <laughs> yeah in one article um a journalist said that it's a sex book and i remember that you didn't want to have it uh, wanted to be called a sex book you said more it's a it's a book about life I think I once told you this before, but for me, it was a book about friendship, about friendship to yourself. I guess it's also because we are almost the same age. And so um, being friends with yourself, any recommendation? Did it help? Does it help to write a book to become friends with yourself? Is it reflection? Is it not reflecting at all? How can you become friends with yourself? Well, I feel like with, in any good friendship, it helps to to get to know each other. And when you write a book, you do get to know it yourself extremely well. Like, so that's, I feel like, and I really like this idea of self-friendship because nowadays we hear a lot of like self-love and I've heard that too. And I was like, love is a big word, you know, like, what does it even mean? And, and like, it doesn't, is love any ever unconditional is friendship? I mean, who knows, you know? But I feel like it's yeah, it's good to be friends with yourself and knowing yourself inside out. And I feel like also like traveling helps a lot with that, like because you really you're the only person you can rely on, you know, like there's no one else who's gonna like sort shit out for you. So you really have to be you have to be nice to yourself, too. I mean, for me, that starts at like, you know, I. I kind of stopped like booking like really, really early flights, for example, because I just know I'm going to be dead the whole day. So being friends with myself means, okay, take the flight at 12, make a reservation for a nice meal beforehand, you know, that kind of stuff. And I really feel like a lot of that stuff is just stuff that you can, you can do for your future self to be nice. For example, I, I make my bed every morning because I know I'm going to be happy <laughs> if I lie down again to lie in a nicely made bed. So that's, I mean, uh, so basic. Like, and, and we all know there's stuff like that. Or I can, you know, prepare my Bircher muesli the night before I mm. eat it. And um, this is really like the kind of stuff that makes me feel like like grown up and having my shit together, just doing these like nice things for myself, for my future self. So that's really something that I can recommend for being a better friend to yourself. And drink lots of water, that also helps. <laughs> Thank you. You got 
uh, I guess, a lot of feedback on your book. Was there any feedback that totally surprised you? People recommending self-help books to me because they read like this like love story in the middle that didn't work out and they'd be like, oh, if only you knew your like, I don't know, relationship type. <laughs> so um, what surprised me and I feel like this is like a compliment for my writing, but also like an insult on, on my former personality because I try to write it like from the perspective that I had at the time and not look at it like my, my older, wiser self, but really like throwing myself back into like my mid twenties stupidity. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm older. I did more therapy. I'm becoming a sex counselor. So I, I know shit, you know, I'm not that stupid anymore. And, um, people not realizing that and treating me like I was 25. That was really funny to me. Also, I mean, nice, but I kind of like, you know, not being, I, I, I like to surprise people sometimes. So I didn't, minded as much but I found it interesting that, that they really like took this like for who I am now uh. um, we will uh, slowly come to the topic of sex um, uh, but to go into there one question I always wanted to ask you but I never was brave enough <laughs> <laughs> so now it's the time but it's not so big um, the thing is with expectations what I already said is like that I have expectations on others or what others should do or not do now you have so much knowledge I don't know anybody who has so much knowledge about sex is your expectation towards other people when it comes to sex higher or are you far more free and open because I don't know all this knowledge does this with you? Well, I mean, my expectation is probably not higher in terms of what I expect them to be able to pull off, like the kind of moves. I mean, I'm really not into like crazy Kama Sutra gymnastics whatever but my my expectation might be higher in terms of i already know all the porn that the other person has seen and i'm not gonna recreate it with them my expectation is that they're authentic um, meaning they express what they actually want in bed and can communicate that and be fully present with that and that unfortunately rarely happens you know like in like, I don't know, one night stand scenarios. I mean, I, it does change when I say what I do, like it, it relaxes people, and, but it also makes them more tense. So, and I'm, and sometimes they try to impress me and I'm just like, please, please no. Can oh we, my God. Can, can we just breathe just for five minutes, just breathe. And I don't know, hold my hand or whatever, because I'm really like, I, I'm too old for this shit, you know? I, I just want to, like, feel feel the other person, like, in every aspect. And that's my expectation. It's probably different from a lot of other expectations. I don't expect them to be, like, I don't know, look like a porn star or have, like, the biggest boobs or penises or whatever. Like, I don't care about that shit, you know? I just want, like, a person who's present in their body and present with me and that that unfortunately it's, that's like a lot to ask 
of a lot of people. That's what I wanted to say. It sounds very simple, but it's for some people a lot to ask for. Yeah, because like I feel like a lot of people really feel safe in like reenacting and performing and performing and not just what they've seen in porn, but I mean, what happens now is a lot of it is like um, people throwing themselves into these like BDSM-ish scenarios because they've seen like Fifty Shades of Grey and all that shit and feel like, oh, if only I can be like the, the dominant one, um, then I don't have to like show who I am. Like, I mean, I don't want to talk about like actual BDSM relationships that are very different from that. But seeing this like in a dating context, like how many guys out there just ask women to submit like on their Tinder bio. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? You know, and this is this is really not like I'm not gonna like waste my time on this. Like you either show up and show me who you are or just I don't know. <laughs> pay someone to do that with you because like I, I have I don't have time for that, you know? It's just it's it's just fake and it's just stupid and yeah, I'm bored by that. Let's talk about unknown things when it comes to sex. A quite of a, a quite amount of people um, told me in the past that they at least once had a sexual relation out of their relationship. And studies show that between 15 and, and 50 um, percent of the respondents said that um, they actually had um, sex out of their relationship. Um, funny thing is that I always read it's more women than men, but anyhow, so um, you work not only as a sex ther therapist, but I guess you talk to so many people about this, to couples or individuals. Why do you think that we people have the desire for the unknown, if it's an unknown body or an unknown experience? Well, I mean, it really, it has to do with brain chemistry. I mean, we all know when we fall in love with someone, we don't eat we don't sleep we just want to be around that person and this is the most amazing person in the world and we want to tell them everything and want to have sex 24 7 and we're gonna marry them we're gonna have babies with them and that's just really that cannot last forever because that's really you know it's insanity and if you look at like the the brain scans of these people it's literally the same as the ones of people on drugs so that can last like seven months tops and then maybe like i feel like after two years it has usually worn off. And that's when you really start to like actually having to put an effort into making the relationship work or be like, okay, this was fun, but I'm going to find the next person, which a lot of people who are like serial monogamists kind of do. And then there's the ones that, I don't know, either decide to, to cheat or like decide to open the relationship. And for a lot of people, even like cheating bit is like part of the appeal to do it like behind the other person's back. And that's, I, I find that very interesting because you might as well, you know, just have an honest conversation and then open it up. But for a lot of people, it's really like doing this secretly that gives them an extra thrill. And that would be something that I would be interested in, like seeing, seeing more about why that is the case. Um, but yeah, it's really about, you know, a new, a new body and a new chance on this like chemical rush that you can get from that and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but we all know the the excitement of having sex with someone new and you know being able to recreate that while at the same time having a relationship i mean 
best of both worlds, right? So I feel like that's what, what people are, are trying to get there, like to have this like person at home that they really like and are like friendly with and, you know, and, and this, what's also interesting, like couples that, that agree on everything are usually the ones that tend to like lose their sexual interest in each other earlier um, because really like in Germany we say Wärme entsteht an Reibungsflächen so if you like I don't know how to really translate Ka it like if your contrast is is like appealing to each other and if there is like um, fights yeah. this makes it more interesting and exciting and Yeah, I don't know if it's really like fights, but really like just this like agreeing on everything that makes like the other person seem less of another person. It's more like an extended part of yourself. Ah, okay. So I feel like that's what it's about to have this like idea, like looking at someone like in a new light, I guess. But did I get you right that two two reasons you see? One is that after a certain amount of time in a relationship, it actually takes more work. So people want to have the excitement, but they don't want to have the work. So they rather search outside than in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, the work is not only work on like your sex life, obviously, like everything else needs, needs work as well. And like talking about shit and stuff. But if you like want to keep your sex life exciting, I feel like in most cases, it's after like, I don't know, half a year to two years where you'd be like, okay, we've done all the positions. I mean, we all know like everyone has like their repertoire sexually, like the stuff that they just know they're good at. So they just repeat that. And like the other person might find that good as well for a certain amount of time. But then afterwards you're just like, really, you're doing this again? Like you've done this a million times before, you know? And it's, it's just like, you you're not gonna eat like, Uh, spaghetti every day even though you love spaghetti but after I don't know a week you'll be like really <laughs> this again and to know like really to to find something else like with the same person and then then that's where you have to put in the work and be like hey you want to watch this like I don't know BDSM class online together or I don't know like in the like more extreme cases you're gonna be like hey can we see like a sex counselor together I mean that's usually when people feel like there's an issue you know like just being a bit bored of each other is not an, an issue yet but then you still have to be like hey you want to buy a toy or whatever like there always has to be like a new element otherwise You just do the same stuff because that's how. But that are. sounds that sounds like when you talk about new toys or BDSM or you said Fifty Shades of Grey uh, before. This sounds like is there really a pressure on people with now everything that we see also in porn that what should be that it should be far more exciting and do you when you talk to couples see that there is more pressure on them nowadays? Yeah, yeah. Also, I mean this, and also like couples where one person is like I don't think I'm polyamorous but he or she wants to open up the relationship do I have to do that you know and me being like you don't have to do anything you know like and, and I feel like that a lot of pressure is on on this like aspect of how do I have like a modern relationship do I have to like this or that do I have to watch porn no you don't have to do anything apart from like dying eventually one day the rest is like up to you basically and um and I feel like a lot of like strength lies in like 
being able to say, sorry, I don't want that. Like with sex in general, like really getting to know your boundaries and like honoring them and like even like honoring them in front of a partner be like i'm i love you but sorry no this is not something that i want to do and then you can like eventually like figure out if you can meet in the middle or not or do this try it once for the other person and then they have to try something that you would like to try i mean that's you can come to all sorts of like deals and arrangements with this um, and a therapist or a counselor can help with that like really setting like the the rules for you to explore that safely but yeah that's i mean there's a lot of people who are like i i actually just want to like lie on my back and then be penetrated and afterwards i don't know cuddle and fall asleep and i mean yes you can do that and i feel like it's not as much on social media yet how exactly you have sex so the pressure is maybe less strong than i don't know having the perfect birthday cake for your kid or whatever, <laughs> you know so I'm, I'm really glad about that but I feel like everyone knows this like one couple that just always brag about how how crazy and wild they are and I'm really like in your face open about this kind of stuff and um, those are the kind of people that are usually the most insecure the loud ones so keep that in mind if you feel like oh I wish I had sex as wild as, I don't know. X, Y, Z. Yeah. He's always talking about it. Exactly. So, like, also this, like, culture of, of I mean, of course, it's, I, I always preach, like, there should be more open conversations about sex, but this, like, whole bragging culture of, uh, yesterday I fucked seven times. This is not open talk about sex. Yeah, exactly. This is yeah. this is probably not as as helpful but just like, you know, bragging. So the kind of sex that I wish people would be more honest is like, I'm a bit insecure about this. How do you deal with that? Has that ever happened to you? Um, I find that way more interesting, mm. I have to say. You tried quite a lot when it comes to sex when I when I read your book correctly about bondage, orgasmic meditation, tantra massages and stuff. Sorry to ask, but what is still on your bucket list? Um, my bucket list, um, I mean, it's an evolving thing, this list. So there's like new stuff and like stuff from like, uh, okay, I don't care anymore. Mm. I still haven't had a threesome with two guys. So, but I, I'm, I have this very specific fantasy about it. It should be two, two bisexual guys. Like, I don't want like straight guys who then like, if they touch each other's foot, like, um, they'd be like, ugh. So I really want them to be into each other as well. And it's not that easy to find. So whoever listens to this. <laughs> Send her a message. <laughs> yeah. If you have a hot best friend, um, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you, you write about sex and you write in a very, very personal way. Um, not many people write under their own name, but you do. How did you decide to do so? Well, I mean, the decision was like, um, can I write this under my real name or what, what can I write under my real name? Because like, if I am so ashamed of what I'm doing that I have to use a fake name, then I'd rather not write it at all, you know? So that's really been my my plan from the beginning and um, it was really like a, a decision as a journalist 
So it wasn't really, and I'm I'm not ashamed to write about sex. I don't find that shameful per se. I mean, there is probably stuff that I would be ashamed to write about. I mean, a lot, I guess, but then I just don't do it, you know, or I'm writing about how I'm ashamed, for example. That can be an interesting topic. So for my podcast, um, for example, I talk to a lot of people about topics that I find unknown or weird or haven't really explored so but then I can just ask them and be like hey you're a professional cuddler I could never do that because I find cuddling super intimate and I would be so ashamed to be like at a cuddling party for example but how is it for you and I can like use my own shame to to explore that safely while still doing what I do from a journalist point of view so that's really that that was the decision really and i mean i get why people chose like aliases and pseudonyms if they for example work in a big office and then the next day everyone's going to be like oh you went to a swinger club you know like i get why that would be like an issue and um something that's you know inconvenient for them but for me i'm i'm free you know i'm a freelancer i'm self employed like If someone cannot handle it, then I'm they're not the right fit for me, anyways. So I'm I, I stopped. I never cared about that. I didn't even stop caring. I, to me, it was never a question. So you never felt more vulnerable because you wrote under your own name? Well, I mean, I do feel vulnerable all the time for doing what I do. Um, but at the same time, I also feel very free. And especially with the like heavier topics that I wrote about, I feel like I wrote about them. I, I only write about stuff that I have kind of figured out for myself. So that's like a rule. I don't, if today something happens, I'm not going to post about it on Instagram immediately afterwards. You know, there has to be like a certain time. So for me, I don't really feel like naked, how you said it before, because I've, I use words as like clothing or makeup or whatever like I've, I've I like to find the nicest words for the horrible stories so to me that's that's a way of keeping myself safe and sane and I mean the thing about vulnerability is of course I have these ideas or oh, who's gonna read that and how are they gonna react to it but I, I the, the the thing the experience that I made like if someone is using my own vulnerability as a weapon against me which obviously has happened to me I just know immediately okay then they're a shitty person and I don't have to like deal with them so it's it really sorts out like the the good and the horrible people you know so it's 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 just what I do for me it's easier than pretending you know so that's how I do it you have been interviewed so many times mm -hmm. is there one question that makes you wonder why nobody has ever asked you before I'm usually wondering why everyone asks me the same shit over and over again but I also get it from like a interviewer's point of view where I just feel like oh yeah you You probably have to ask that because your audience doesn't know me yet, so it's it's okay you ask. So I'm I'm one thing I learned is um always reply 
the same way, even if you've been asked the same question the 10th, 50th time. So um, I don't know. I mean, after writing the book, everyone wanted to talk about what was in the book, but not as many people wanted to understand the process of it, which I feel like to anyone like working creatively is, is what they care most about. Um, no, I don't think that's... Um, because I talk to a lot of different people like I talk to I don't know like the the school newspaper of like my hometown and then they for example they had really good questions and then I talk to I don't know um, like national TV and they have not so great questions um, so I'm, for me it's it's actually more fun to, to talk to people who are not as trained to ask the same stuff over and over again just that I cannot think of a question where I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, I just answer them, you know, it's not. So I always want to end my podcast with the same three questions. The mm. first one is, what is currently your biggest fear? My biggest fear? <sighs> a death, I think. Not Not necessarily my own death soon, but I'm... My birthday is coming up and whenever that happens, I always like reflect on death. So yeah, probably. I mean, and I feel like that's such a like metaf metaphysical thing because most fears in the end are related to death somehow. Like all this like, oh, am I getting, am I gaining weight? Am I going to die? You know, like you can, like if you really think your fears truly, they, they all eventually deal with death. So I can like answer that. Like I feel death is is a big. Is it is it death because you're afraid of dying or because you're afraid you haven't done everything you wanted to do? Yeah, exactly. The the latest uh, the the latter. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny because when I like put the book out, someone said to me it was it was weird random date, um, and he said to me, "Well, this book is still gonna be here when you're dead." wow this is a big thing <laughs> big thing to say to someone on a first date and i i wondered is that even like true because like books go out of print pretty fast and who knows like paper like dissolves and who knows how the whole ebook situation is going to evolve so who knows if my book will still be around but i have like this idea of like a legacy obviously that i want to like leave behind and then this like question am i am i on track with that which is like a question no one could ever answer and it's like a a pretty weird thing to think about but i i do have this like idea okay is this the the mark i want to leave on the world and do i have enough impact and how whatever you know is my like world domination plans gonna turn out and <laughs> <laughs> question number two what are you currently doing that you still don't know how it will turn out well i i usually never know how things will turn out i mean and that's really i think this is something that you learn when you're a writer um you have this idea in your head of how it's gonna be but as soon as you like finish a text if you can even talk about finishing a text, because I feel like a text is probably never finished. I mean, even now, if I look at my book, I can still find like a hundred things that I would do differently. But at some point, you just decide it's finished now. And then you send it out. And then it becomes like it's 
own kind of like living creature because how people are gonna read it is so different because they're looking at it with their own like preconceived ideas and um and you have to let go at that point um but you 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 totally in the unknown of how like it's gonna like turn out and work for someone else and and that's the case with most of my stuff really like i i have an idea in my head of a, like a message i want to like send out and a feeling that i want to evoke in people and that usually works but not always and of course not with everyone and just like i just do it you know i i feel like that's what creativity is in the end you just keep keep making stuff And so I keep making stuff and hope that not even like, I, I don't even just hope that people are going to like it because that's like a bit, I don't know, stupid, but I just hope like it will get people thinking. That's what I'm, that's my goal in my work to, to get people thinking. So yeah, we'll see. The last one is not really a question, But what I do is, since years, I put uh, quotes in a book that you see here that are very dear to me. And I will just go through the pages and you will say stop at a random um, point. Mm -hmm. And then you will just comment on that quote. Yeah, okay. So let's start. And you say stop. Stop. Do you want to go left or right? Left. Left. You don't have to control your thoughts. You just have to stop letting them control you. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm like from like a, like a psychological point of view, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure you can actually always do that because like there's parts of your brain that's like way older than your thoughts and that's really like where your subconscious is and they still like totally control like everything you do but just being aware of that I guess helps so and I really like this idea of not even thoughts but like distancing from your emotions and that's what you do when you meditate a lot you just look at it and be like oh oh you're sad again <laughs> great and um, just not like getting into it too much like looking at the thought or the feeling and like listen to what it has to tell you but then being able to let go again I feel like it's like maybe the the secret to like not freaking out completely in this world your um, book and your podcast is called Lust Prinzip, so like lust or pleasure principle. And I really have to say it was a pleasure. We had some talks before and I finally recorded one. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I had fun. Bye. Bye.